Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right, so I met my partner, Nikki. She's right over there. Um, when I was 13 years old, and there's a hilarious story that I've told five million times, I told her she had big teeth, and it worked. So um, that's essentially the whole story of how we met. Um, oh, this is a little far away. So, um, But we met at this youth group at the church. It was called um, uh, Gospel Tabernacle, which already tells you, <laughs> like, what kind of church is that? Exactly, right? Um, but it was a very fundamental evangelical church, and I loved it. Like, I'm at a very different place now, um, theologically, um, in a lot of different ways. But at that time, as a 13-year-old, um, I found a lot of belonging there. I met some really good friends. And it, I won't lie, it is a place where I would probably not be a pastor if I didn't go to that church, because I got to see... Um, uh, people um, in different ages, um, in different genders, expressing what it looks like to be a Jesus-looking person. And they were so nice and inspired me that I wanted to um, do what this guy named Pastor Phil did. Um, but there's also a lot of toxic stuff that we picked up, like purity culture, homophobia, xenophobia, a lot of things that was just celebrated, right? Or not, yeah, I'd say it was celebrated, um, directly and indirectly, consciously and unconsciously. And one of the things that we picked up um, when we found out, we found out we were in love, we were going to get married, um, and so we did some premarital classes with the church, and also people um, uh, told us, and you know how you can hear things in the background, like if you're in a room, you're a place uh, for a long enough period, you just pick things up, um, and one of them was that uh, I, since I'm a man, had to be the spiritual head of the household. That's what we were taught and what we were told. And uh, Nikki and I were reading letters um, that we wrote to each other when, when she was in college. And she's like, I can't wait for Chris. <laughs> I can't wait till Chris is a spiritual head of our household. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? And it was like, what does that even mean? People just said it. it was like, well, you want to have a biblical marriage. Now, let's take a pause. Anytime you hear the word biblical, fill in the gap, I want you to use your critical thinking skills. Because what does biblical marriage mean? People like, well, you know, we really want to have a biblical marriage. We want to have biblical counseling. We want to have biblical worldview. We want to have, like, a biblical playground, right? We use this word. But if you just stopped and said, what does that really mean? Biblical marriage. Okay. Like, what part of the Bible do you want to reflect your marriage? Um, like, concubines, right? Uh, where you can forcibly take someone as your wife? Uh, where you, there's laws where you can physically punish your wife? Like, the Bible is very, very... Um, Messy when it comes to a lot of things. Um, or like a biblical worldview that God is always for life, right? Always for life. Except that one story where God killed all the humans except one family because he hated them is what he said, right? The, or in the New Testament, God kills two people for lying about money, <laughs> right? It's, it's, the Bible is, is complicated, and that's why I love it so much. It's beautiful. Um, so here's what I think. When people say they want a biblical marriage, um, it's like maybe you have a song. Maybe you like listening to choir. Does anyone here like choir music, right? 
All right, yeah, right? So there's a lot of choir music, <laughs> teacher points, right? Not me, them. Um, a lot of choir music sings, has like Latin in it, and they sing these beautiful things. Maybe you find inspiration and grounding, um, and you, it reminds you of something, so you listen to it. And if someone said, hey, Adia, why do you like that song so much? Right? I, maybe Adia is an expert in Latin, all right? But I doubt she'd say, well, actually, blah, 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 means this, and this is why I really find it inspirational. She'd probably say, I don't know, I just like, it makes me feel good. This is the same thing when people say biblical marriage. What does it mean? I don't know, but that word makes me feel really good, right? So, <laughs> so for, us, for us to say, for them to say, hey, you need a spiritual head of the household, I felt pressure to be something I wasn't. Because one of the things I love about Nikki still to say, but drew me to her, is that she has a voice, that she has um, agency over her body. And she does not need a man to come alongside her and say, let me give you vision for your life, honey. But I felt, and even I'd say, I maybe even say for both of us, felt like, well, if we're going to be really biblical people, if we're going to be really Christians, then we have to operate in these gender roles, even if we don't feel comfortable in them. So where does this idea come from? The Bible. And that's what we're talking on stuff Paul said. Paul speaks not a lot, but speaks several times on gender roles and marriage. And so I'm going to read it without giving you any context. If you weren't here last week, um, we're intentionally taking passages that um, are, might evoke some emotion, right? And usually we can just dismiss it or we have the, the privilege of just saying, well, I, that doesn't impact me, um, so I can just float through it. But I take the Bible incredibly seriously. I do not take it always literally, but I take it very seriously. And so I'm going to read this, and I'm going to invite you to just be aware of what you feel. There's me, several words in here, depending on your gender, um, uh, of how you represent yourself. There's going to be words in here that, should be, that might be triggering. And so uh, maybe you'll laugh at it. Maybe you've had it spoken over you. Maybe you've had it domineered. And maybe it's brought trauma, and for that, I am sorry. But I'm going to read it. Then we're going to get some context and then see how maybe it can elevate us into a higher way of not just seeing but being. This is Ephesians 5, verse 21 through 32, 33, and buckle up. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of, of the church and his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also, wives, you should submit to your husbands in everything. All right? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. We're pretty good at that, right? After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thus saith the word of the Lord. Amen, right? This is, this is a, I, I read parts of this verse or passage at every single wedding I do. Every single one gets wife submit to husbands, and uh, it always gets a laugh. Almost every single wedding. They're like, why are we talking about this? Because at plain reading of this, this seems incredibly toxic. Plain reading of this. If you take it literally, it appears that there is some ownership 
over other people, right? And that is never the case in the kingdom of God. So what is going on here, and why would Paul write these things? First one is this. There is context in everything, right? There's context. Uh, context um, means uh, to contextualize the, the, um, the scriptures, means that there is a, a person who wrote this at a specific time, a specific place in this world, like uh, their feet on the ground. And when they are writing this or saying this, um, it means that they have all these cultural influences that we don't always know and they don't take the time to describe. And there's three dominant um, things happening um, in this place in Ephesus. There is um, Romans, right? So Roman culture. There's a, hel- have a hard time saying, Hellenistic, Helen, help me Dietrich, say it. Yeah, that one, right? That one, Hellenistic, Hellenistic, that one, right? Has the word hell in it. That's why it's funny. So um, um, Hellenistic and the last one is Jewish culture, right? And all three of those have a varying degree, but each one um, agrees on this, is that the woman belongs to her father, and when she gets married, the father has to approve of it, and then ownership changes to husband. In certain parts of the Roman culture I read about, um, uh, it would move to where the woman had agency for herself once she was married, where she could get divorced if she wanted to. That was very uncommon. Most common in Roman culture, the dad still had ownership and could file for divorce for his daughter even if she didn't want it with her husband. That's how much power was over women's bodies. Same thing with the other two. There was ownership, and this would have just been um, known. So when he says, hey, wives, you should submit to your husbands, this would just be like um, yada, yada, yada. It would just be assumed because that's just how they viewed the world. Now, there's people today who take this verse literally and bring it back into our context, all right? We, I shouldn't say, we don't do that anymore. There's still people, sadly, um, who believe that they have ownership over their partner, that they have um, domineering, they have, uh, to be the spiritual head means I get to have agency, right, over you. And that, my friends, is toxic. So what is Paul talking about, right? What is this whole, whole thing? We have to go back to Genesis. Funny how we always go back to Genesis in the origin story. Paul is an expert on the Bible. He would have known this. And going back to even the language he's saying of that um, Christ is the head of the church as a man is a, or a husband is head of his wife. What he's going back to is in Genesis, um, God creates human, and it's beautiful. He says it is good. Then all of a sudden, man goes, man, I'm lonely. This is, by the way, if you're new to this idea, this is literally in the Bible, all right? So you can go back and read it because um, we often skip over it. Uh, Adam says, I'm lonely. And God says, we should find you a helper. So before Eve comes, Adam interviews every single animal in the Garden of Eden. Every single one, right? So if you take this literally, Adam is trying to find a partner. And you can fill in the gaps for what that means, right? Trying to find a partner so he's not lonely. And he's talking to the zebra and he's like, hey, what college you go to? Ooh, can't do that, right? All right, what are your thoughts on critical race theory? Ooh, yep, no, no thanks for me. You go to go to an elephant and like, well, I'm a Vikings fan. You're a Packer fan. This is just not going to work, all right? And so, um, so, so Adam, you know, is like, well, I'm still lonely. So God then puts him in a deep sleep, takes out one of his ribs, Puts it in dirt, bada bing, bada boom, we have Eve. We have woman, right? Now, we know that um, scientifically that's not how it works. When, uh, you're, when Cruz says, hey, mom, how did I come to be a human? It's not like, well, you know, your dad ripped out one of his ribs, and we planted the backyard, and you were born. Wow, that's so good, right? What, what, 
what they're trying to say is, with the story, this origin story, what I believe it, and a lot of people believe it is, is that male and female are so much more alike than we're different. We are so much deeply, deeply connected. And we see that in, um, in verse, chapter 2, uh, verse 21, where it says, Adam and Eve stood before each other naked and felt no shame. They're before God, they're before one another, and there is no shame. There is no language of one being over the other. Even, this might blow your minds, there's not even language of God being over those people. It is this equal place of where they can see each other, where, they are, um, where there is no shame. What is a lack of shame? What is the opposite of shame? It is something celebrated. It is something in the fullness. It is something um, thriving, something flourishing. And it's in this equal space where they can look at each other and see each other as a gift to receive and to give over and over. Eugene Peterson has this language of what he says the Trinity is the divine. It is the Christ. It is the Holy Spirit. And is one emptying of themselves in love to the other. And the emptying of their love to the other. And it's this cycle over and over of radical, divine, generous, benevolent love to the other. Always. It's reflected in Genesis 2. So if that is the narrative, if that's the origin story of what it means to be human, that we can be our full self, that you don't have someone over me, then we can go back and reread and reimagine what Paul is saying, what I believe and a whole lot of other people believe, that he's not talking about having power over someone. Because think about the words he uses. He uses submit, but how? What does it mean to submit? Paul doesn't tell us. He actually says, submit your husband in everything, right? Okay, that's really detailed. But he goes to the men, right? He goes to the husbands, and he gets very detailed of what we're supposed to do. He gives us an example. He gives us, you're supposed to love your wife in the same way Christ loved the church. Oh, pause. The whole idea of head, right? Another way of um, reinterpreting it um, that I read from some scholars is uh, not just power. It does mean agency, right, because that's the culture. But it also means that they came first. Christ came before the church. Man came before uh, women. Adam, in order, to them, the origin story came first. So it's not just about power, it's about uh, the, um, the ordering of how things went, which changes it a little bit. So, he says to the men, you're to love your wives the same way Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Christ loved the church by reminding that, uh, that Jesus was right all the time, right? Jesus stood up in power and said, I am right, follow me. Jesus showed up, right? on this earth and went to the empire and says, we have to fight with violence against those because we are strong. To be the church is strong. No, he did not do that. Jesus showed up, right? And how did he um, love the church? How did he love people? By dismantling the power within himself. Jesus intentionally lowers himself. Philippians chapter 2, he takes a low position. Why? To engage and elevate the voices and the people around him. Jesus showed up by showing up at tables and listening to the people that no one else would listen to. He would touch the untouchables. He would learn from people. The woman at the well, Jesus sits and listens with an outsider, and he learns something from her. He is engaged intellectually, right, from someone who would never be believed. The way the Christ loves the church is by taking a low position. So when we take this verse and say, oh, now I'm the head of the household. Now you must listen and obey me. Show me anywhere where the, where the Christ did that. Jesus came to serve and to engage and to love in a radically different way. So what I believe Paul is saying is that we, the way we are to love, the way we are to move, the way we are to be, um, to be human is to give always. The beginning of this passage gives it away. Um, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. 
Paul's talking about Ephesians 5, that Christ is the head of this church, and through the Holy Spirit, this nuanced, mystical um, agency of the kingdom of God that transforms us. The only way we can do this is through the divine, through the Holy Spirit. And now he's giving just another example. So it's really not about this. It's about this. And if we can move in that way, as a practical example in a relationship, it can impact all of our relationships. And I'm going to give you an example. Um, when Nikki and I were uh, younger, when we first married, we had a season where we had little kids. And it was, imagine this, it's exhausting having little kids. And we had a season, I don't remember how long, but we were um, like trying to express love. We're trying to show love to the other, and we just kept missing each other. I would do something to, like trying to help Nikki. I think, oh, Nikki's going to love this. All right, woo. Like I was probably like, I'm going to plan a party, invite 50 people over. It's going to be so fun, and the kids won't sleep. But I know that's what you want because that's what you make, makes you feel loved. That's what makes me feel loved, right? And, <laughs> and we kept missing each other where I ended up hurting Nikki's feelings or offending her. And then she would try to show me love, and I would be offended, and it hurt me. And we just got to the point where we acknowledged, like, we need some help. And I don't remember who we learned this from. Maybe you could tell me. But one of the things they talked about, they said, why don't you try this? Why don't you um, wake up in the morning, get the kids doing whatever they need to do so you can give the best of your attention to each other. And Chris, I want you to ask Nikki, um, Nikki, how can I show you love today? And I, I'm pretty sure I rolled my eyes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's going to work because I was really mature. And um, in my mind, I'm like, I need like a seven-point like, like class and I need five books and I need to know to be an expert. I'm like, I'm just going to ask this question. So I woke up in the morning, got the kids, and I probably even said it sarcastically. Now then I, I think about it. And we were in our, our, our kitchen with a slate floor, and um, I asked Nikki, I said, all right, Nikki, um, hey, how can I show you love? Probably sound like a robot. And this is a very vulnerable question for several different reasons, if you take it seriously. Because when I am saying, how can I show you love, I'm removing the power from myself. Because I thought I was a pretty, like, I thought I was a Nikki expert. I thought I was a marriage expert, and I thought I had all the ways figured out of how to make my best friend feel loved. So when I am taking the center and the, the, the spotlight off myself and I'm putting it on her, I'm losing some power. I'm giving that up. And also, there's this vulnerability of whatever she says, I'm saying I'm going to do my best to do it. And I had this fear of what if she asks for something I can't deliver on? Like, what if she asks, we had friends, several friends that were traveling um, across the world going to Italy, and we made no money, we had little babies, and we were exhausted, and I thought, I, I really did think, Nikki's going to say, I, we, we got to get to Italy, right, and I'm like, okay, then I got to work another job, I was already working 55, 60 hours, um, and so I had this fear, right, of what if she says this, or what if she goes, for, like, sell your golf clubs, never play golf again, right, it's like, <laughs> right, but it's like, when you're in that vulnerable position, it's easy for me, an anxious person, to go to worst case scenario, and, um, Nikki, uh, do you remember what you said, honey? Okay. Uh, yeah. I do, because I love you so much more than you love me. I know. Um, uh, what am I talking about? Oh, what you said, right? I got, I got up. Um, of Nikki said, um, will you hold my hand? And I remember feeling or thinking, like, that's it? That's it? Of all the things. No Italy, no golf clubs. You could have had the world, and you asked for my hands. And it, it, was, it was beautiful. Because that would never have made my top ten of what can I do to show my partner love. It would have all been geared around things that maybe I would make me feel loved, that would make me feel good, but I would use Nikki's name, right? 
It was a very egocentric self-love. And here, my partner, who I love most, just says, can you hold my hand? And it changed um, a lot in our marriage. It really, at least for me, it changed a lot. Because um, I started listening. I started um, believing her. But it had to start by me putting the attention on her. Then she goes, well, Chris, how can I show you love today? I said, oh, honey, we don't need to do that, right? It's, it's all about me loving you. And she's like, no, do you remember this? She's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're not doing that. And it's true. That's a power play. And men are great at this. Right? Oh, I just want to rescue you. I just want to save you, right? And so she goes, I- I'd like you to answer the question. And I was in a vulnerable place again. Because I'm like, I had, what is it that makes me feel loved? What is it that I want? And to be honest, right? Because, again, I could have asked for all these other things. And the thing I wanted most sounded really silly. It sounded really silly. And I, I decided to go with it. And I said, it would make me feel really loved when I'd come home, instead of saying, um, hey, honey, or hey, schmoopy bear, right? <laughs> she doesn't call me schmoopy bear, <laughs> all right? Um, could you say, or instead, people call me solder. I love being called solder. But I said, can you call me Chris? You say, hey, Chris, it's good to see you. Because of the person I love most in this world, I like hearing my own name. It makes me feel really connected. It makes me feel really together. It's a, a, a belonging thing. And Nikki's like, I can do that. And it's, it's, it's so funny because we complicate of how we can show love. And I believe this is exactly what Paul is saying, is stop centering it on yourself. Whatever power you think you have, whatever power or expectations or roles you feel like you have deserved based on um, how you show up in this world, Paul's saying, hey, let's just, like, dismantle that system. Let's dismantle patriarchy. Let's dismantle... Um, Uh, our privilege, let's dismantle how we have ownership or agency over other people, and let's move in a way of submitting to one another because that's what Christ does. So here's an example. Maybe you're here and you're like, great, I'm not married, or maybe you're listening. You can do this in any relationship. And I would say um, with your friends, I think we should normalize telling our friends we love each other, especially from men to men. we, We don't use those words, right? You could say, hey, how can I show you love? You could use this at work. Just change the words. One thing Nikki taught me about coaching is you don't like the word, change the word. It might be, I had a friend, um, Lori. She was cutting my, trimming my beard. I was telling her how I'm just not sleeping well and I'm feeling exhausted. And she stopped. She goes, hey, how can I best support you this week? I'm like, holy buckets. I'm preaching on that this week. And I love, I love that. Like, it could be just asking, how can I best support you? How can I be in your corner? You could show up at work and say, how can, <laughs> this is so corporate, right? But how can I reflect our team's values practically in this meeting, Right? You are moving off of yourself, and you're putting the energy, you're putting the spotlight on others. This is a great question to ask. I was talking with my buddy, Mike Valdos, who's helping with the kids. And we were talking about how as a church can we continue to grow in, um, in our inclusivity and also part of our anti-racist work. And he said, he said, Chris, what we need to do is just, like, show up. We need to do, do less things. We don't need to plan more events. We don't need to show up and say, neighborhood church is going to take over this booth, and we're going to do all this. He's like, you just have to show up. And it started by, and he said, and maybe just by showing up and asking questions, right? Because when you do that, you're moving off of, like, like we're this great church or we're these white saviors, it, and it shows up on putting agency and believability and the spotlight on different lived experiences than our own. I, I believe this is what Paul is asking us to do. And when we do this, we move in the way of Christ. When you move in the way of Christ, there's the kingdom of God. And where the kingdom of God is, there is heaven. And where heaven is, is freedom and liberation. It is a place where we can look at each other and we can be our full selves and be before God and feel 
no shame. Let's stand up and let's pray. So God, we love you. And I thank you for um, the ability to give and to receive love. I thank you for that picture of that we can be uh, our fullest selves, exactly who we are in this moment, in this breath, and it can be celebrated. Often where we feel shame, often where we hide parts of ourselves, often where we deny parts of ourselves, not just to others, not just to God, but even to our own being. We shove down, we tamper, because we say it doesn't belong. We say it's ugly, we say it's less than. But when we show up fully as ourselves and we're willing to give of ourselves, we're willing to take a low position, we're willing to dismantle some of those systems within ourselves, we can begin to see the other. We can begin to listen and learn and engage from the other. So I pray for all our systems of relationships, from our partners, to coworkers, to our kids, to our neighbors, to our extended family, to our chosen families, I pray that we can move in a place where we can mimic Christ, where we're willing to give of ourselves over and over and over. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, like we read in Ephesians 5, would empower us, would engage us to be able to practically and generously do that. We love you. Amen. Steve's going to close with a song, a short song, and then we will um, put on some music. And thank you for coming to Neighborhood Church.
Thank you for joining us this morning. Have a great rest of your weekend.